The Guardian Women's Football Weekly is supported by Visa. Hello, I'm Faker Others and welcome to the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Cast Lucy in bronze, erect a silver statue of Stanway and stick Millie Bright up front. She gleams and will surely grab us gold. England will head to the Steel City as they come from behind to beat Spain 2-1 to reach yet another major tournament semi-final. We'll dissect that rollercoaster 120 minutes of football, get overexcited again about England's Euro 2022 chances Take your questions, and that's today's Guardian Women's Football Weekly. The Guardian Women's Football Weekly is supported by Visa, a proud sponsor of UEFA Women's Euro 2022. In 2018, Visa became the first ever UEFA sponsor dedicated to women's football and is now one of the world's most active sponsors of the sport, Its global investment in women's football includes sponsorship of the FIFA World Cup and the UEFA Women's Champions League, as well as the US Soccer Federation and the US Women's National Team. Through the company's sponsorship of the FIFA Women's World Cup 2023 and other leading women's football organisations around the world, the company strives to be a catalyst for change and contribute to the growing recognition of women's football. Visa is committed to growing women's football at all levels, increasing visibility and future-proofing the women's game. Find out more at theguardian.com slash all hyphen win. Well, what a panel we have today. Susie Rack, welcome back. You're supposed to be recovering, but was that the longest two hours of your life? Yeah, it didn't help the recovery process, did it? I mean, having a heart attack for 80 minutes or whatever it was, 70 minutes. (laughs) No, definitely not. Anita Asante, first time we've spoken to you since your announcement, the new first team coach at Bristol City. Congratulations. Thank you, Faye. (laughs) Yeah, I'm absolutely buzzing to just be able to get that out there now and, and get started with the girls at Bristol and start my coaching journey, finally. Can't wait to see what you can do. Uh, Sorry, the Lionesses have stolen your thunder a little bit, I'm afraid. (laughs) Um, Salon Hickman, I mean, how fresh were you for your gym session this morning? Did you even make it? I did not make it, no. (laughs) I'm willing to trade off and sit with the disappointment my PT might have in me for the elation that I experienced last night. So I'm okay with that. I'm surprised you even made it out. You got stuck in woods on your way out of uh, the Amex. Where were you going? We did. We thought we were being really clever by being that um, farmer standstill traffic right by the stadium and, and the train station. So, yeah, we, we took some back route and ended up walking through a woods for about 20 minutes with no light. But we did actually find the road on the end. And I'd like to shout out to the, the woman and her mother who were with us, who we helped the whole way through. But um, I was worried at some point. So I thought we might lose people in the woods. And that wouldn't have been a good story after last night. Well, we wouldn't have seen you this morning, would we? Which would have been a travesty. Listen, it's hard to know where to begin. At what point did all of you convince yourselves that England were out of the tournament? For me, it was around about 60 minutes, I think. Half time. I was pretty disappointed with the performance until, well, until pretty late in the game, to be fair. I think most of us were. It looked like a very hesitant, nervous performance, I thought. You know, they sort of, for want of a better phrase, showed Spain a little bit too much respect. 
let them play their game, didn't sort of take the game to them much. I expected a bit more of a press on that Spain passing game. And obviously that's easier said than done. That's not a, that's not a straightforward thing to do. But whilst I felt at half time that things were um, not looking positive at all and that I was missing the quarterfinal and not going to see England play in the semi-final, uh, which is what I was obviously hoping to be back for, was incredibly disappointing. At the same time, I also didn't think... Spain looked like they would score again necessarily so there was a slim sliver of hope at that point for me but but not much I I was sat behind the the goal when Spain scored and it just took all the air out of me and and to be honest the crowd was so nervous throughout the majority of the game it's the quietest that I've heard them which I think just kind of gave it that extra edge and and by the way for anyone who missed it a where were you b who are you and c why are you listening to this podcast uh england conceded their first goal at the euros going one nil down to spain before that 84th minute equalizer from ella toon took it to extra time and georgia stanway smashed in the winner six minutes into the extra half an hour salon what did you do when georgia stanway scored Oh, I can't remember. I can't remember. It was just a complete blur at that point. What was beautiful about that goal was you saw her having the space and time to carry the ball, which she just didn't have throughout the rest of the game. Credit to Spain, who dominated our midfield. But she just drove with that ball. And I do think there was a, there was like, I don't know if you polled the crowd at that point, a 50-50 split between she's going to pass it, pass it, pass it. The, the sensible thing to do is to pass it. And the rest of them going, shoot. And she chose to shoot. And thank God she did because it was an absolute rocket. I think the keeper also thought she was going to pass it and therefore sort of set herself slightly wrong. And therefore the shot didn't need to be top corner, but the power that it, that it had meant that there was no way she was stopping that. And I thought at that moment when the ground erupted was just like, this is what a home Euros is about. These are the moments that are just, yeah, you'll remember for the rest of your life for that moment when that Stanway goal rocketed the back of the net. Oh, it was an absolute beaut, wasn't it? I mean, there were questions, Anita, before this game about whether England had been properly tested in this Euros. And I think it's fair to say that they have now. Yeah, that was for sure was their first proper test. And you've got to give credit to Spain as well. You know, they stepped it up a level compared to the previous games they'd played. They hadn't really shown that kind of quality on the ball. Of course, we expected them to have a lot of possession, but they hadn't dominated a game like they did in that way against England, which made it difficult for England because we all know once they get into their rhythm, they're hard to, to stop and they're hard to press. But at the same time, this is exactly the sort of test that England needed to not necessarily be in that cruise control button and feel like you're in a knockout phases. Now you're here to play the best teams in the world and, and it's just going to keep hopefully raising the England team's levels as well. And this was not an easy test for them, but they had to go through it. And I think from a mental point of view, it's, it's really good for the psychology of the team now to know, you know what, we, we don't give up. We're resilient. And we'll keep going. We'll find a way to the end. And that's a great asset for those players to have because football is about moments and it is about suffering. Sometimes you suffer and you get through it. And the girls did that. And all it took was one moment, as Salon mentioned, with Stanway. And and that's just about being brave. And she was brave in that moment, dribbling and carrying the ball. 
when the easier thing might just be to pass the responsibility on. And boy, did we suffer. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it was so tense. I don't think I've got any nails left. The <laughs> crowd behind the goal that I was sat behind were literally either had their arms crossed or fingers in their mouth. It was it was so, so tense. But Anita makes an interesting point there, Susie, because you also described it as a gutsy confidence fueling performance. Would you say it's one of the best performances that we've ever seen from England? Maybe not in terms of quality, but in terms of, of that determination to get over the line? Yeah, in terms of belief, for sure. I mean, it's definitely not one of the best performances we've seen from England. But Yeah, in terms of the desire to actually do something and to not give up. Yeah, completely. I mean, I think they benefited from tactical errors from Spain, some weird decisions to sort of sit back quite early on in the game still and really let England sort of back in. But they really took advantage of that. And, you know, when you see Serena take off, Ellen White, Frank Kirby, Beth Mead, you, you you know, you are sort of thinking, wow, okay, that's a lot of faith in some some young, quite inexperienced players on one of the biggest stages that they'll probably ever play on. And and that's a very brave thing to do. And I think it goes back to when they were playing sort of under nineteen, under twenty free football, you know, the the confidence of the sort of youngest group in the, the England squad to take games to people, to not give up, to real, real battle, um, that have a real good understanding on the pitch as well between each other. I mean, that link-up play with um, Alessia Russo and Ella Toon is, you know, it's tried and tested, not just at club level, but at international level um, through all the different age groups for years. That belief in and of itself that, yes, you can do something even without these big players on the pitch, like, it's going to have an impact, it's going to sink in and gutsy the whole thing was just really 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 gutsy I'll tell you what I found fascinating to watch was Serena Wiegmann on the touchline because she's normally so calm and chilled and she'll sit in the dugout come out every now and again she was out for a lot of the time she was shaking her head her body language was negative and frustrated you know she was so animated on on the touchline and we're just not used to seeing that at all and I wonder whether that kind of negative energy almost transferred onto the pitch in in the opening uh, 50 minutes in particular as soon as they went down to that goal she was like get those substitutes on straight away she's not usually that quick and reactive but she was frustrated wasn't she and of course first time we're seeing her back in the dugout after missing the Northern Ireland game she tested negative finally uh, for Covid it would have been a boost for the players and actually could you imagine if she actually wasn't there last night Anita what a difference that would have made because they wouldn't have had her screaming at them screaming screaming <laughs> screaming at them uh from, the, down, from the touchline i know steve <laughs> there was no wally with no brollies last night that's for sure but I, I found that quite quite fascinating how would the players have seen it anita yeah no it's a it's a really good point that you're making there Faye. i think ultimately we are used to seeing serena Wiegmann be super calm and relaxed and transfer the energy to the team but Sometimes it's you need a manager to react to the situation and 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 give a bit more uh, impetus and and be firm with the players and 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 just you know give them a shove up the arse <laughs> with lack of better words you know we all need it sometimes and and players know they know when they're not necessarily 
firing from either a mental standpoint or physical or whatever. And, and that little injection of someone's telling you, come on, like, I know you can do this. Come on, do this, do that. Just gives you that boost and that lift that you need when you're feeling deflated or you're feeling that momentum is against you. Because it's really hard when you're spending so much time as well defending players that are so good on the ball and you're trying to press and you feel it in your body. You're not getting close enough. That just psychologically puts you maybe in a negative spin where you just feel like you're always running backwards and sideways as opposed to going forwards, which is the direction England want to be going in. So I like seeing that from Serena because the point is, she's a she's a human being. Uh, she has emotion as well. It means a lot to her as well as the team. And she'll get a reaction out of the players because she isn't that person that's doing that all the time. If she was a screamer and a shouter in the changing room or on the pitch, she probably wouldn't get the, the, the reaction she needs out of her players. But because they know her and they trust her and there is that trust between them, I think when she reacts like that, the players know, okay, our manager, you know, she's just willing us on. She believes in us. Uh, and this is her way of just getting us to the quality that we know we have. It's going to strengthen the bond between the work as well, right, isn't it? Like when you see your manager behave that way, behave very differently, behave in a way that is both influential on the game, but also is is packed with emotion. Like they've not had a moment like that where they've really, really been up against it in the heat of the moment and they've really needed their manager to pull them through it. And that's only going to strengthen the trust that they have in her and, uh, and vice versa, which is which is really cool. And obviously, like, I don't know if you saw it on telly, we all saw it. Her leaping yeah. into the arms and really bright, really bright, <laughs> lifting her into the air was just like the cutest thing I think I've ever seen <laughs> after a football match. I missed that because I'd had to run down to the tunnel. It was one of those really awkward things at 2-1. It's like, do I have the faith to go down to the flash zone five minutes before the final whistle or will I have to run back for penalties? What do I do? Uh, when I did speak to Serena Wiegmann, it's really frustrating actually because you only get a certain amount of time in in the flash and uh, I, I got wrapped and I had so many things that I had to, to speak to her about. But what she said in the press conference afterwards as well, that she just she said, I lost it completely. I just went crazy. And even when I was interviewing her, she normally straight bats every question I give her she's really short with her answers and she was just waxing lyrical she was off on one it was it was brilliant to see Salon this almost feels like a bit of a a therapy session that's what uh, producer Lucy has just said to me and and I, I feel she is very accurate with this there's so much adrenaline that we all have from this match Spain were so impressive but the same problem that they've had perhaps all tournament that, you know, impressive in possession, but just not really then doing anything with it. But England just couldn't get out of this kind of vortex that they'd created. Oh, absolutely. I think Spain just wouldn't let us play how we wanted to play. And that is one of the most frustrating things against an opposition. You have a game plan. You want to go out and execute it. You know you have the players and the talent and the belief and all the mindset to go and do it. And then suddenly you're faced with an opposition that say, nope, we're not going to let you do that at all. I think they controlled the space brilliantly. Where how England like to play is get out to our wide players, send in a cross or a a beautiful through ball to our number nine. And Hemp and Mead 
couldn't really get on the ball or if they did get on the ball they wanted to take a few different touches and try and run at a player but by the time they'd received the ball they were completely shut down and, and pressed and I think they they kind of cheated a little bit Spain by stopping us from getting out their positioning was so that they knew that that ball was going there and their players were quick enough and fast enough to get there and close our players down we haven't really been pressed like that at the back either they were completely relentless it's at, at times I think when you describe a game when you're like, it feels like there's so many more of them than there are us, it shows that they're just controlling the space and dominating so much better than we were. And I think Spain will rue that they did not score more goals in that first half because we were just completely on the back foot. And Mary Earps did play phenomenally. I think Millie Bright, obviously, woman of the match, what a player. In the last five minutes of of, um, extra time, I was cheering that's why my voice is completely gone, but I was cheering <laughs> every defensive intervention like it was a goal. I think people got upset with me in my area because I was just like on my feet, like anytime it was cleared, anytime Alex Greenwood kicked out for a throw in and I was there celebrating like it was a goal. But it was like you, you knew those really desperate measures and tiny margins that if Spain did break, if Spain were running at your, at your fullbacks probably, we were in danger at that point. So yeah, I think... Spain deserves so much credit for how they played last night. And it is a shame that they've gone out at this stage in the tournament when they are so technically brilliant and masters at controlling the space, but they didn't create enough chances. And if you don't do that, then you don't win football matches. So there's my cliche to end it on. (laughs) Absolutely. Love the cliche. It's so true though, isn't it? And actually Spain have never never won a knockout match which is just incredible when you think about it shout out to Max Rushton what a legend tweet of the night a lot of Caldente's work for Spain has been really well done which is quite ironic (laughs) (laughs) well done Max loved that I mean the Esther Gonzalez goal after 54 minutes came from Athenia del Castillo Susie and actually He's had a lot of criticism, Jorge Vilda, and he did make a lot of really weird decisions, but that was perhaps one of his better ones. Yeah, totally. I mean, she was fantastic when she came on, but I mean, I would say it was probably a mistake not to start her. Um, Athenia has been incredible for uh, Spain and uh, last season as well. And yeah, well-deserving of a starting spot, one of their best players, um, particularly when they're out. Uh, without the likes of Putellis and stuff. And I mean, honestly, you, you kind of felt very, very sorry for Rachel Daly. She was absolutely owning her every single time. I thought that the smartest thing Spain did was stick Bon Matty like glue to Kira Walsh. Um, oh, yeah. It was just so intelligent. And I think if other teams, you know, Sweden or Belgium or Germany or France or whoever it may be, um, follow that blueprint of really, really kind of having someone stuck like glue to Kira Walsh, then England are in trouble. They also, like, I don't know about you, but for the first 45 minutes to an hour was incredibly frustrated by these like snappy half tackles. The most infuriatingly annoying thing to happen, but also incredibly intelligent. And you have like a little bit of respect for, and if it was your team doing it, you'd think, yes, come on, we're really, really frustrating them. But just not allowing anyone sort of room to breathe or move or, or or think about a second touch on the ball. Then you've got the big errors late on. Taking off your goal scorer on 77 minutes, who's had a really good game, is causing all kinds of trouble to go more defensive. Um, waiting until like there's 20 minutes left to bring on Sarigi, who 
is a phenomenally good player. And I, I saw Sophie Lawson, the journalist, tweet, you've basically shown no, like zero faith in this player. And then you're basically asking her to come on with 20 minutes left to play uh, and save Spain when you've basically told her that you think she's no good repeatedly. Strange choices tactically, but really intelligent Spanish performance. Yeah, they set the tone, didn't they? Five seconds in, Ellen White ball straight to the face and down and you thought oh they mean business um big <laughs> shout out by the way to, to bon Matty because in the mix zone at the end of the match you know when many players have lost you'll know this anita you just want to go straight through the mix zone and not have to talk to anybody but bon Matty stopped for every single journalist English or Spanish. She did the interviews in English, just said, can you just bear with me? Is it pre-recorded? I just need to gather my thoughts. She was absolutely incredible because that defeat will have really hurt. Um, We talked about the Serena Wiegmann in-game management, and I think it's quite key to, to focus on that as well, because we mentioned Rachel Daly there. She had a torrid time all game. She's not a left back. I was saying before the tournament, and, you know, I'm not a manager. I just watch the football. In my opinion, Alex Greenwood was starter at left back for me the minute we got to the knockouts. We all know how amazing Rachel Daly is and we know what she can do defensively and and going forward. And she's a tough tackler. But I really thought we needed an intelligent defender in that position. And the minute Alex Greenwood came on on 82 minutes, it allowed Millie Bright to to go up the field, create spaces. And that's how then Ella Toon got her goal. And it was a beautifully, beautifully worked goal as well. But the chance of Toon when Ella Toon came onto the pitch were also amazing around the ground salon. It, 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 she's really captured everybody's imagination, hasn't she? Yeah, definitely. And I think going back to Rachel Daly, I think there's, it's always a toss up with when you're selecting fullbacks unless you've got the perfect all-round player who's brilliant going forward and creative and brave and has a wonderful shot and a cross and can win their 1v1s in an attacking sense and also can defend their 1v1s, cover for their centre-backs, tuck in when they need to tuck in, make really good recovery runs. You could argue maybe Lucy Bronze is that. But Rachel Daly is definitely more on the attacking axis, more towards the attacking end. And I completely agree with you that we needed a much more defensive-minded defender playing in a defensive position against one of the best attacking teams in the world so you really did have to feel for her she's also right-footed playing the left-back role but Johnny Lou texted me um, in the second half when the equaliser went in from Tooney he saw a beautiful moment where Jill Scott just leant over um, to Rachel Daly who looked like she just had the weight of the world on her shoulders ever since she came off and just gave her a hug and a kiss and he said it was a small and beautiful moment but it meant a lot in that in that moment to Rachel Daly when you you know those feelings you come off and you feel like you've absolutely messed it up for your entire team in a tournament that means so much to so many people and then suddenly Ella Toon comes off the bench and a scrappy goal you could argue but actually quite perfectly curated a lovely ball from Hemp Rousseau wins the header knocks it down Tooney's in the perfect place to get that goal and what a relief that was in the stadium Faye I've got a question for you go on why uh why Greenwood why not Stokes I just feel as if Greenwood has a better connection with Leah Williamson and Millie Bright than Demi Stokes has. And Demi hasn't had as much game time. And because the pairing of Greenwood and 
Bright in particular was working so well. I feel like she's there to back up Leah and Millie in the middle if she needs to from the left back position. That's no disrespect to Demi Stokes in the slightest. I just feel that she has the more assured performances. Is that good enough reasoning, Susie? I feel like I'm I'm on trial. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's decent enough reasoning. I think it's also because she's a set piece threat. Yeah. Right? Her delivery, she she offers that as well. Which, you, you know, in a game like this, when it's so small margins and you're not dominating the ball, all it takes is one free kick, mm. one corner, and you level up the game. And I think she offers that as well as balance, being left-footed. When you're getting high-pressed, get us out with her quality because of her range of passing. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Like, I love Alex Greenwood. Um, unfortunately, she should have started the tournament at centre-back um, and even, you know, asked the question on whether you drop your captain to make that happen. But... Um, She's always underwhelmed at left back for England for me. And maybe she's improved as a left back as a result of being excellent at centre back and having like learned that new role and understanding the relationship between the two positions and all that kind of stuff. But we've not seen her a lot under Serena at left back. And I don't think I'll be totally comfortable with Alex Greenwood at left back for a while until I've seen a whole load of games where you have the quality of like Athenia and stuff running at her for 90 minutes um I'm not convinced yet mm. um you mentioned Georgia Stanway's goal at the top there uh Salon but Anita you have to just sit back applaud watch it again and again and again <laughs> <laughs> yeah of course I was punching air when that went in I was just like <laughs> what a beautiful strike you know and it's what you expect from Georgia as well. She has that in her locker. We've seen her do it time and time again for club. And, you know, it, it couldn't be a better player for that to happen to. I thought she had a, a brilliant game in terms of, you know, I think some people are nervous that she's playing in a double pivot role defensively. Is she going to get fouls against her? Maybe yellow card, that type of scenario, because we know she's a tough tackler in there. But she had a very mature performance in terms of trying to, you know, cover spaces and, and support Walsh as well in, in that defensive role. But when the moment arrived and she could carry the ball, which she's so good at doing, getting the ball between the lines and driving at defenders, you could see that as soon as she started running towards that Spanish back line, they didn't know what to do. They were like, should I press? Should I drop? And they were actually even. They were 2v2, fullback, centre-back. Mappy Leon's there. And, and doesn't commit to her. And what I love about what Georgia did, she didn't hesitate. She made a decision and she committed to it. And that's what you want from your attacking players. You want them to believe in themselves and go, I'm taking responsibility in this moment and I'm going to take the shot on and anything can happen. And, and, and that's exactly what happened. She scored a beautiful goal and we're all delighting in the fact that, you know, we're progressing to the, to the semi-final. I know. And Spain didn't make it easy either. They just kept throwing everything they possibly could, but just not clinical enough in the end. And I have to say, I feel as if we have analysed that 120 minutes of football as chaotically as the game felt itself. <laughs> we went all over the place from start to finish to back to front. To, I mean, it, it was every part of the emotion. Let's just compose ourselves, shall we? Because that's it for part one of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. In part two, we will look forward to the other quarterfinals. Finals. 
This podcast is supported by Visa. So we wanted to tell you more about how they're helping develop the women's game all over the world. One of their initiatives is providing football camps in places like Turkey, where less than 1% of licensed football players are women. That's why Visa are working with social enterprises like Kisla Sahada to give young girls in the country the chance to play football. Today, we're joined by Chansu, who recently participated in one of these camps. Chansu, lovely to see you. As we've heard, women's football isn't as big in Turkey as in other parts of the world. So how did you first become interested in it? I never had the chance to play uh, till the age six. And in our neighborhood, uh, boys used to play football all the time. Uh, one day, uh, they had a like player uh, and he didn't come to the match. One of the like bigger boys told me that, would you like to be our goalkeeper? That summer, I started to go to a summer camp to play football. And you recently took part in what sounded like a, an amazing football camp, which was supported by Visa. Um, you won a prize as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that and why it's a, a real dream come true for you? A few weeks ago, we went to Kızlar Sahada's camp and participated to win the prize to go to the Euro finals in England. And the dream come true part is in 2016, while I was coming back from the US to Turkey. We couldn't catch our flight uh, from London to Turkey and we stayed in London for a day. I wanted to go to Wembley, but uh, because we, I didn't have a visa, they told us that we won't be able to go inside the Wembley and check the place. So this year I will go to Wembley and <laughs> will be able to see the Euro finals and be a ball kid in the Euro finals. So I'm really happy about that. Chansu, thank you so much for your time. I really hope you enjoy your trip to Wembley. I will see you at the final. See you. Now back to the show. Welcome back to part two of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. I'd love to say we have composed ourselves, but we are just as frantic as we were in the first part. I'm two coffees down. It's early in the morning. And uh, yeah, the adrenaline's kicking in after four hours sleep. We are continuing to, to dissect the England win over Spain. Who stood out? predominantly for all of you salon was it was it Lucy Bronze and that Tekkers after she'd been told off by Serena Wiegmann on the on the sidelines was it Millie Bright and her performance at both ends Mary Earps perhaps you're not letting me have Bon Matty if you would like I mean li- listen she she has gained my respect after what she did in the in not only on the pitch but off it afterwards no yeah Bon Matty obviously from from a Spanish perspective was incredible Del Castillo also stunning performance in that second half but for England I think I have to go with Millie Bright I want to be like Millie Bright when I grow up honestly like what (laughs) what what a player I think when you need a player to dig in and to ensure that this win is yours um, she did that and I think withstanding that amount of pressure knowing that you are playing at some of the technically best players in the world in attack and you withstood their pressure weathered the storm at multiple occasions throughout that game won every header you kind of felt like 
you could rely on that as a fan and feel quite safe when that happened. When you didn't feel safe was when they were exploiting our maybe defensive weaknesses yesterday, but you can't say that Millie Bright was a defensive weakness. So for me, yeah, deserved woman of the match, I'd say. Mm. Is there a case, and look, this is this is a debate, sometimes unpopular, but Anita, Alessia Russo has impressed so much whenever she's come on. Obviously, Ellen White does so much more off the ball than what we see necessarily in the 18-yard box. But who starts for you? Surely there's a case for Alessia Russo to, to start the semi-final now. If you'd asked me this uh, <laughs> maybe a few hours ago, I would have said, no, Ellen White, you know, she's she's got her play because of her tireless work that she does up there that people don't always see or think about in terms of her off the ball. But at the same time, I think, Going into the next game, it's really important for England to stamp their authority and take their game to the opposition. Um, and we don't want to go long bouts without getting into our rhythm. And I think what Alessia Russo offers is that focal point. So, you know, I, I probably would go with Alessia because not only does she work hard and she works the channel, she, you know, she, she runs in behind, she comes short. I think there's a bit more maybe dynamism that would allow Frank Kirby to come alive Two, we didn't see enough of Fran in the last game, but I think Fran, you know, she can see her pass and, and that connection, obviously, that she has with Toon, we've seen has been effective. And I think it's going to be more important for England to get into the game early, create more chances earlier in the game to just settle their nerves as well and, and calm them down and get them into their own possession game. What I like about Alessia Russo, she's a handful. She's a handful in the box because of her physicality, but she's so good in the air. She's so effective with it and her timing and her movement. And I just think perhaps at this moment in time, she offers that little bit more than we're getting from Ellen White. And maybe she has slightly more confidence in, in what she's doing at the moment. But there's kind of a fearlessness about her that I really enjoy when I watch her play. So for that reason, I think I would like to see her start. And I think if you're judging on her previous performances, she totally deserves a start as well. Yeah, and Susie's nodding along and and I hope that we've answered both of your questions. Uh, Emma on Twitter, who said, do we need to review who plays at number nine and left back for England? Would it be a Russo and a Alex Greenwood starting for you, Susie, if Serena Wiegmann was going to make two changes for the next match? I'd definitely bring in I'm changing my mind mid-sentence. Um, <laughs> That's this entire pod, isn't it? I, <laughs> part of the chaos. I, said def- I, I was going to say I'd definitely bring in Alex Greenwood, but at the same time, like Rachel Daly's had a really good tournament up until this point and mm. her confidence after that is going to have taken a knock and in a sense there's a case for putting your faith in someone who like had a blip right it that's that was an unorthodox performance from her so I, I'm not totally wedded to the idea of just floating in Alex Greenwood but then again do you have the luxury of time and football to be able to sort of do a confidence boost to a player whose confidence is shot I don't know so that's a, a difficult managerial question in terms of Russo and why I agree with everything Anita said but the one thing I've sort of is in the back of my mind is whether like she's almost done too good a job Alessia Russo as a sub because if you start her where's the threat off the bench up top I mean Beth England 
isn't really doing it at the moment, does not have confidence coursing through her veins, has not played a single minute of football in this tournament. Ella White is a great player, but is she an impact player off the bench? I'm not so sure. And then you're looking at the likes of maybe switching Beth Mead into the middle or something during the game and to find that alternative or bringing Chloe Kelly, who started off as a forward, on in the middle. And they're, they're things that haven't been tested. So in a way, I'm sort of like a... I can understand why she would stick with Ellen up top unless you're off the bench because regardless of whether we think Alessia may have done something a little bit sooner in the game, it still worked. It's, it came on, it changed the game and it had the sort of desired impact. And I'm not sure if the other way round it would. There's something fantastic about Russo's young terrier-like energy coming onto the pitch when your opposition are getting a little bit tired Yes, that would be my only hesitancy in making changes. I can see why Serena wouldn't as much as I can see why there's arguments for her doing so. I want to play devil's advocate a little bit. And I promise this isn't because uh, Lauren Hemp beat me at basketball the other day in the media versus uh, the, the players. But something's just not quite clicked right for her in this tournament. Is there an argument that you could potentially put Rachel Daly in that Hemp position, bearing in mind what she offers up front? Anita. <laughs> oh, you're doing it to me. Um, yeah, no, of course there is. Uh, you could say that about a number of players, but again, that's not been tested, <laughs> do you know what I mean, uh, up until this point in, in terms of her getting exposure, playing some of the stronger nations in that role um, and finding that chemistry and relationship with the players in and around her in that attack. Of course, we know what Rachel Daly can do in, in forward areas. She's, she's done that at club time and time again. And she's got so much quality there. But I don't know if you would make that decision now. Maybe that's a punt you would take dying, you know, late in the game when you really need, you're running out of all options and you're not sure how else to change it. Maybe you do it then. But at the moment, I just think I, I don't see her replacing Hemp in that position or Mead on the other flank at the moment, because I do think and do believe that they are our two best forward wingers, if you like, at the moment. That would be a, a tough call to make. I, I don't think I would make that one. I actually agree with you, Anita. I was literally just playing devil's advocate because I felt, <laughs> I felt like it. Just quickly, Susie, th this is England's fourth consecutive semi-final, stretching back from the World Cup in 2015 to Euro 2022 in terms of major tournaments. We have to give the FA some, some real credit here, don't we? That's a pretty decent record. Oh, 100%. But they, I mean, they've... If they hadn't have done it at the same time, given the amount of money and time and infrastructure that has been invested in the team, comparatively to the rest of Europe, say, or the rest of the world even, you would see it as a massive failure. So there's there's that element there as well. In football, you sort of get what you pay for to a certain extent. You know, there's a reason why Man City win the Premier League. Um, it's about how much you invest and support the team and the people around them so you sort of expect a return um, and the FA always had in their plan that this tournament and ne next summer's World Cup were the ones that they were targeting as being really competitions that the Lionesses should be competing to win and the 
previous ones, you know, 2019, 2017, they were, they were surprises. They weren't necessarily expecting to be as competitive as they were in those tournaments. They hadn't factored that into their, their planning. So if they had lost last night, it would have been a huge failure. I was sitting there thinking, oh, this is obviously gutting from just, you know, an England point of view. But I, I was dreading having to write on it, like on having to write on what an utter failure it was. And, you know, I saw a couple of journalists tweeting about, uh, you know, <laughs> rejected um, top lines and stuff that were really scathing and things as as time went on. And, you know, they managed to, <laughs> like, and when England scored, when Toon scored, you know, suddenly they got to throw those really scathing ones away. And that, like, the fear of having to sit down the next day and write write something that was like, this is an absolute disaster for uh, the FA and for the Lionesses was was very, very, very real. Um, so, yeah, a lot of credit, but also I say the credit is more to the investment and support that has got the team to this point. It's good that we are at a stage where we have these high expectations of the team and want them to do really well. I think that they should do really well on the basis of those things. I think your point there, Susie, about the headlines, the scathing headlines, I definitely had that feeling. I think Faye, you asked us right at the beginning, when when was the moment we thought this was done? And I was taking notes throughout the game and about 70, I just completely stopped and was like, this is it. And I had a real sense of similarly to watching England in the men's Euros last year, a feeling of such expectation and hope, but also a significance of, well, what does this mean societally, culturally? for these players if we don't do well, if we don't have the success. It's not just England and we want to go and have fun in the summer and win a tournament. There's this, this added pressure that we create as media, the, the players probably feel the nation creates in the sensation of how much this means and what it will do for the women's game. And I think that gut-wrenching feeling last night for, for about, 60, 70 minutes of feeling, well, 80 minutes, really, 85 minutes and saying, this is it and this isn't the way the script was supposed to go and this completely contradicts the narrative and how do we deal with that? And it's quite an interesting thought experiment to think, would those papers say today? What would the reaction be today? How does that create a new territory in the women's game and the way that we talk and, and report on the women's game as well. So, and what impact that then has on the team and the squad and how you bounce back from something like that. So yeah, it really felt like so much was on the line last night and it still is the semi-final. Oh, we could have all of those feelings again for 85, 86, 87 minutes, who knows? And that is also what the professionalization and the just natural experiences of football and supporting a team is. And it was really visceral last night to feel that, I think. Do you know what? It's interesting. I, I, I feel as if just getting to the semi-finals, even if they lost the semi-final, it wouldn't feel as much of a failure as if they'd have gone out last night because it would just equal what they've done in the past, which I suppose is still a failure because they need to progress. But just to round things up, Anita, can they go all the way now that they've faced that adversity in the quarterfinal? They know how to get themselves out of the cul-de-sac they've driven themselves down into. Is this the European champions we've been watching? <laughs> yeah, I, I believe so. I believe that they they can, to be honest. I think they needed this experience. They needed to play a top side like Spain 
I don't think they'll meet another team who controls the ball and has ball possession uh, in the way that Spain does moving forward. So, you know, I think it's, it's going to be tough. Of course it is because you're at the knockout phases and it, it, everyone is motivated to win. But we didn't see the best of England in that performance. You know, there's another level and another gear to this team and this squad. And I think from this experience, they'll, they'll know, you know, that they got to be braver. They got to, you know, be able to play out of pressure. They've got to be able to try and find their influential players sooner and be clinical and and have that quality in the final third. But as long as we maintain solid performances like Millie showed and displayed, the team will feel confident that we've got rocks behind us that will be secure enough to allow them to, to, to go forward. And, you know, Hemp hasn't really come alive at the moment, you know, and, and we know what quality she can produce and, and, and Mead. And if you look at it potentially being Sweden or Belgium in the next game, then I just think England in my opinion, as a squad, uh, uh, slightly better in terms of that star quality that we have in, in terms of individual magic. If we get to our quality and we earn that right, I don't see no reason why we can't win in, in the semis. Okay. Stream of consciousness and therapy session over. It was very cathartic, I have to say, but we need to try and focus and look ahead to those other three quarterfinals. Quick fire. Guys, otherwise, I'm going to have to start charging overtime. Uh, keep it quick. And uh, Salon, three quarterfinals to go. Germany face Austria tonight. Do you think the Germans might be a little bit more nervous about this one, having seen some of England's struggles? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I do think the Germans will, will feel very confident going into tonight. That's it. They'll be confident. Well, that was quick fire. Uh, Anita, <laughs> France versus the Netherlands. Why should we all watch that? It's going to be a cracking game, I think. Netherlands have shown that they're a resilient team, but I think France, just quality throughout the squad, such an exciting team. I think it's a France win for me. England, obviously, Sweden or Belgium in uh, the semi-finals on Tuesday. Susie, who do we want? I think we all know the answer to that, don't we? I mean, we'd like Belgium, wouldn't we? But uh, I, I think it's fair to say that like without playing down Belgium too much I think it we all expect Sweden to roll through that game with relative ease I I think Sweden in a in a semi-final is going to be a really really tough game having watched Sweden at the World Cup and at the Olympics as well but England will get a lot more of the ball um, and I think that is the game changer for me and the big difference to playing Spain so is whether Sweden can sort of take many of the lessons of, of that Spanish team and adopt them very, very quickly. I told Marcus, the one of the football editors at The Guardian, that he has to go on gardening leave uh, <laughs> because he, uh, and he told me he's actually back home in Sweden during the semi-final, so I didn't need to worry because I was worried about the direction our coverage might take of that game. Um, we're we're just not going to speak to him, are we, for the <laughs> exactly. next, for the next just, week? Yeah, <laughs> just cut, cut ties for a bit, but uh, it's a straightforward quarter-final on paper and a very, very tasty semi-final if, uh, if it goes the way we all think it will. 
So when I asked you for quick fire, Susie, you failed miserably. Yeah, I did. I did. So your second red card, in fact, after um, <laughs> I annihilated you on Twitter for your opening article in The Guardian that you wrote, which you used <laughs> seminal moment, a banned phrase on this podcast that you, in fact, introduced the rule for. Yeah, I mean, it's true. But I did write that over a week before the tournament and before we had made the rule. So I'm sort of gonna like claw onto that little uh, that little caveat as my as my saving grace. It was supposed to be out pre tournament and then they changed the deadline for it. So uh, yeah, that's my that's my excuse. (laughs) There's no excuse. You made the rule. I'm not having it. Uh, Susie Rack, a pleasure as always. Cheers, Faye. Anita Asante, see you soon. See you soon, Faye. Salon Hickman, get yourself back to bed. Thanks, Faye, I will. Or go to the gym, maybe. Hmm. (laughs) That's it for today's Women's Football Weekly. We'll be back on Sunday as we find out what our semi-final lineup is going to be. The Guardian's Women's Football Weekly is produced by Lucy Oliver and Jesse Parker-Humphreys with additional help from Silas Gray and George Cooper. Music composition was from Laura Iredale and our executive producers are Chessie Bent, Max Sanderson and Danielle Stevens. The Guardian Women's Football Weekly is supported by Visa.